Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. God's greatest provisions. That's what we're going to talk about today. How many of you know we're being, you know, I remember Spring Bible Church. We're being discipled in the Word. Um, you know, I remember the very first time as a child that God ever spoke to me about being in the ministry. I told him, no, I don't want anything to do with it. The first of all, I said, I look at my pastor and he smiles every Sunday and I know it's because he's being paid. He's being paid to smile. I'm the only one that ever thought that about a preacher, right? I was just a little kid. And the second thing was, I watched him preach and teach every Sunday morning. And this is back when church was this way. Preach every Sunday morning, preach every Sunday night, preach every Wednesday night. Oh, I tell you, we've got it all compartmentalized now. We're down to one hour a week's enough. No, it's not. That's why if you are a part of Life Stream Bible Church, you know there's Bible studies going on all the time. Amen? Why? Because we're going to be discipled in the Word of God. We're going to talk a little bit about God's greatest provisions. We're going to read two stories, an account of the same story, two different times. And we're just going to relax here a little bit. It's a brief message, all right? But God's going to show us some things. I looked at this and I said, I love this story, Father, but why, why have you got me going through this again? Have you ever been there? And then all of a sudden you see the verse. You see the one that God's saying, look at that. And you, and you look at it. And, and I get shocked and amazed, and the smile comes over my face. Acts chapter 9. Let's begin reading with verse 1. You're going to find out why I call this God's greatest provisions. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. How many of you know we got it easy today? Yeah, back then, you made it on a list. Paul was coming for you, <laughs> right? And he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, and I got to briefly pause here a little bit. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? How many of you remember in the Bible where Jesus said, Mary, Mary. <laughs> and then Jesus here is saying, Saul, Saul. If you ever hear your name called twice by the Holy Spirit, you better pay attention. Something is about to get yanked into the correct lane. All right? You're about to get corrected, right? And believe me, I have heard him on more than one occasion in my spirit say, Carl, Carl. It's almost an almost a sound of desperation and frustration. Almost. All right? Almost. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Now, he knows this is Lord because he's been knocked down, right? So he says to him, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. Have you ever noticed, here I am, Lord, comes pretty quick, right? Have you ever said, will you do me a favor? And someone just said, sure. Have you ever said, now hold on, before you say, before you jump to the answer, let me tell you what the favor is, right? So Ananias says, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered. This is after he heard the favor, right? But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard how many, uh, uh, from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And there he has authority 
And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, you know what I love about this? Ananias, what a, what a guy. It had to be Ananias. Do you hear what I just said? I'm standing here telling you. It had to be Ananias. It either had to be Ananias or someone just like him. And what I love about Ananias, once Jesus told him what he needed him to do, this man whom Saul would have had killed for being a Christian, it had to be one of those. I mean, Jesus could have healed Saul without sending anybody to him. But he sent one of the people that would have wound up on a death list. And what I love about Ananias, and it just opens my heart up, is he walked in because of what Jesus said to him about Saul, and he called him brother. He called him brother. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Dynamic story. Now bounce down to Acts 26 with me. And now, this gospel that God has called Paul to preach has him in prison now. It has him arrested. And he's before King Agrippa. And he is about to be allowed to give an account of himself. In Acts chapter 26, verse 1, it says, So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to obtain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead specifically a reference to Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. Why do you find that hard to believe that God raises the dead? Because if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, there's a whole room full of people been raised from the dead. Amen? Mm, praise God. Let's pick up. At uh, verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise. And stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen uh, me, uh, seen, let's see, in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. 
delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among among whom among those who are sanctified by faith in me I've decided to stop there we could go further but did you see that verse we're going to come back to it notice that Paul spoke very respectfully to King Agrippa and he took full advantage of the opportunity to share his testimony back in Acts chapter 9 verse 15 Jesus had said that Paul would bear my name before Gentiles kings and the children of Israel on a lesser scale than with Paul this is what God did with Billy Graham Billy Graham was given an open door of opportunity before so many people in very important places and he consistently presented a, a plain presentation of the gospel of salvation. It's one of the reasons why I love the man so much. Now, in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, what we stopped on, Paul is telling what Jesus said about why he sent him to the Gentiles. Are, are there any Jewish people in the room? Any Messianic Jews? I don't, I don't know of any. Look, look at the person next to you and say, we're Gentiles. We're Gentiles. I remember in high school, uh, they had a, a Bible class uh, in our high school. So that was years ago, right? In public school. We had a class, general studies in the Bible. And, and a whole bunch of kids signed up for it. And I signed up for it, only I was going to play in band, and it was at that same time, so they moved me from Bible class to band. I happened to be in the library on the first day that class met. There were so many kids in it, 54 kids in that class, and they didn't have a classroom big enough to hold 54 kids. So they held it in the library, and I'm listening. And the teacher's asking the questions, general questions about the Bible, and because I'd been raised in church, I knew the answers. So, I'd wait. No one would answer the question. I'd raise my hand. She'd look over there where I was sitting away from the class. She'd say, okay, Carl, what's the answer? And I'd tell her the answer to the question. Humbling, but I knew the answers. No one else was opening their mouth. No one else knew the answers. And I'll never forget the last question she asked was, what's, who's, what's a Gentile? Who's a Gentile? And, and, that, and that was, I raised my hand when no one else would answer. I said, anybody that's not Jewish. It's a Gentile, right? She says, okay. She said, I really love the fact that you know the answer to these questions, but don't raise your hand again. <laughs> we, we've got to give the rest of the class a chance. Now, I, I felt I was giving them a chance, but hey, I didn't answer another question. But I'll never forget that as long as I live. 52 kids didn't know any answers to any of the questions from the Bible mind-boggling right in Acts 26 18 Paul, listen to what Jesus said about why he sent them to the Gentiles verse 18 again listen to this this is so packed with meat I, I, it, it's mind-boggling to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me I looked at that. I don't know how many times I've read that story. And I did not see the richness and the meat and all that's involved in verse 18. God laid it out through Jesus Christ. I mean, in your Bible, do you have a red letter edition? That's in red, right? Jesus said it, right? And that's, a, that's what a lot of people don't understand. What God gave to Paul, which is about two-thirds of the New Testament, Jesus himself gave it to Paul. Paul saw Jesus. Paul spent time with Jesus. All right? I don't have a problem with that. So what is listed here? I'm going to try with God's help to give clarification. He's listed five goals that God has for people's lives. And I submit to you that these goals have not changed even to... Wait, where? All right? You know, it's amazing to me. We, we're, we're born pretty messed up, right? I mean, we're not born saved, are we? And human nature is pretty messed up, right? 
And so what happens is even when we get saved, in our spirit, all things, uh, old things have passed away, all things have become new, amen? I mean, in that dynamic? But the Bible says we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because everything out here where my fingertips are didn't change that day. Everything in my spirit did where God gave me life, amen? So I spend the rest of my life working out my salvation with fear and trembling until things out here at my fingertips match what God's done down on the inside. Amen? So what happens? We start praying. We start talking to God. And our prayers are filled up uh, with God help me buy groceries. God help me pay the rent. God help me make the house payment. God help me get my car fixed. God help me pay these bills. God help me get out from under all these bill collectors and all when Jesus says, pray, uh, give us this day our daily bread and then move on to the more important things. Because God knows what you have need of before you ever ask. And the things that you think you have need of are not the things that Father believes you have need of. Those needs that we see that are daily needs, God sees them, just thank me for them. And let's move on. All right? How do I know this? Well, let's, let's, let's see this. Let's see this. Because when I looked at the first part, I, I began to be flooded and reminded by the fact that we spend much time praying for the wrong things. All right? So what does it say? The first point is this. He said to open our eyes. To open our eyes. And as I began I to pray about that, I, I'm saying, Father, what, what do you want me to say about it? I, I mean, I can think of some things, but I don't want to think about them. I want to be fed them by you to give to the people, right? And one of the things he started talking about is the way we pray and what we pray for. Quit spending so much time majoring in the minors. That's what the Holy Spirit, and kind of sort of said, Carl, Carl. <laughs> Quit majoring in the minors. Talk to me about those things and then let's move on. All right? So I said to open our eyes. This is a statement about people's understanding. How many of us would like to understand the Word of God better? That's part of discipleship training. Amen? There are three things that people need to understand about God so we can stop majoring in the minors. First of all, who He is. Who God is. How many of you believe that we've got a lot to learn about who he really is? Amen? He never frets. He never worries. If he flinches, the powers of darkness flee. Amen? I mean, he ain't even got a flinch. Amen? He's God, right? And the powers of darkness flee easily before him. Amen? He's holy. Amen? He's to be adored. Amen? Even before we start talking about all of the good things he's done. He's God and deserves all our love, adoration, and attention just because of who he is. What he does is simple for him. It's not hard. It's not difficult. He doesn't bust a sweat over it. Amen? All right? The next thing is uh, we need to uh, watch this. Learn what he has done. Oh, well. You know, well, well, he split the Red Sea. He delivered the children of Israel, you know, from Egypt. He, he, he raised up Abraham and, and his sons and all these miracles. And, you know, he gave, listen to me. What he has done. What's most important about what he has done has been birthed on the inside of you when you got saved. What he's done in you. You know, when the, we mentioned this last week when uh, Jesus sent out all those guys and they, and they had ministry and they came back. They're all excited to see even demons are, are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in the fact that your name is written in heaven. That's what he has done. He can do anything, right? But until he has done what he does in you, you're lost. You're just lost, Amen. And then you need to know what he has promised. Amen? What he has promised. What has God promised to us? You know, we were talking this morning downstairs about worship, and I focused on the fact, and I talked to the ladies about this. Um, you know, praise and worship in heaven. 
I've had people ask me before, do you really want to go to heaven and do nothing uh, throughout time but praise and worship God? I, I said, you bet. <laughs> I, I don't have to think about that, right? And then there's, there's all kinds of worship. And what the Holy Spirit dealt with me about this morning is there are types of worship we don't even know anything about yet. We don't know anything about it yet. I know that, that I was raised in a church where silence was reverence before God. It was reverent worship before God. And I'll never forget when I came into a Pentecostal church and, and, and watched what the Holy Ghost was doing in the place and turning it upside down and changing people's lives, healing people, saving people. Amen? You know? And so I said, I think that uh, worship services in heaven will be a lot like a, a Pentecostal worship service that, that cut loose, right? But there won't be any tongues because you won't need to pray or speak any mysteries. Amen? You won't need that anymore. And so, and, and as I was relishing in the fact that I've, I've got a little more divine revelation that worship in heaven is going to be a lot like a Pentecostal worship service, I was reminded by the Holy Spirit, but yet there will also be periods of just silence like you have never heard in your life. Quiet, reverent. He said, I'm not against that. God just wants a, a steady diet of everything from us. Amen? Not just one kind of worship. Doesn't want to be relegated down, boiled down to just one kind of worship. And when we get there, we'll not only learn about what true, silent, reverent worship is and what loud worship is, we'll learn worship, ways of worship we've never, never even crossed our minds. And, and, and just take your watch off. If you're raptured halfway up, just fling your watch off. It don't matter anymore, right? I mean, you're not going to have a watch because time isn't going to matter anymore. And, and a thousand years is as a day, a day is as a thousand years. Uh, you think maybe I, I just spent the whole day worshiping. No, I just spent a thousand years if I was on earth, you know? And, I, and it was like the blink of an eye, right? Let's don't box God up like that, amen? All right, the second point. What did he say? First point was to open our eyes. How many of you know our eyes need to be open? Amen. Two, to turn them from darkness to light. Darkness is consistently used in the Bible as a reference to what? Sin. Darkness is consistently used in the Bible as a reference to sin and light as a reference to righteousness. We've become the righteousness of God in Christ, but unless we understand this fact, we miss many blessings that are connected to it. I'll read that again. We've become the righteousness of God in Christ, but unless we understand this fact, we miss many blessings that are connected with it. Third point, to turn them from the power of Satan to the power of God. God has goals for people's lives, but so does Satan from your life. Mary goals for an individual are to one, steal the word of God from your life. If he, can, if he can steal the word of God out of your life, he can cause you to live in fear. Doubt, fear, and unbelief can grip your life. Two, to kill any potential ministry. That's his goal, to kill any potential ministry. When we start teaching on the Holy Spirit, let me tell you what that's about. I want to lay hands on people and pray for people. I want to see them filled with the Holy Ghost to overflowing. I want to see the Holy Spirit show up. Uh, but I'm just like an orchestra leader. I'm, I'm not asking God, let, let me be the center of attention, God, in this thing. It's about ministry through the body of Christ. It's not about ministry through just me. Right? But he'd like to make you think, I want Pastor Dennis to lead us in this and, and, and set all the examples. No, no, that's not. You're going to find out that ain't what it's all about. It's not the Carl Dennis show. Amen. Never has been, never will be. Amen. To kill any potential ministry. Another goal of the devil is to destroy his or hers peace, joy, and contentment. If he can get you to focus on the wrong things in prayer, he can get you to live in doubt, fear, and unbelief. You know what? We should be praying every day that God would help us by the power of the Spirit to protect our peace at all costs. Protect our peace. Because we get tempted to get upset about things we got no business getting upset about. Now listen, listen. I I'll tell you, 
Yesterday was a good day in the Lord for the Dennis family, for me and Ruth. We learned a long time ago, but we were shown yesterday. You know, again, um, I remember, and here, here haven't I, I've endeavored to speak the truth to you, right? And not hide things from you. Ruthie and I at one time, and it's my fault, not my wife's. Not my wife's, it was my fault. Ruthie and I struggled with tithing. I, and I'm the only one in the world that's ever struggled with giving to God, right? I'm the only one in the body of Christ. No, I'm not. Struggled. And, and you know, you, would, you come down to, well, you got to get groceries. You got bill collectors calling. I, I had bill collectors calling me. I, I don't think there's anything more miserable in the world than hearing a phone ring when, you know, it, it, it ain't your, your best friend or your brother or brother in the Lord. It's somebody you don't know has no mercy on you at all. They're rude, arrogant, threatening. They know every technique to make your life miserable and damage your peace. That's why I say there ain't a godly phone call. <laughs> Amen? Not a godly phone call. It wasn't until Ruth and I in our lives just said, no matter what, no matter what, we're giving. We're going to be givers. From now on, we're going to be givers. It wasn't until then that God turned everything around. And listen to me now. I always believed that, you know, uh, we, we were in debt to God. Along with, with all these years, we didn't, we didn't pay our tithes. We owe God money. And, and is there anything wrong with, with, with giving God more because you want to play catch up? But let me tell you something. That's not by law. That's by grace. God's not going to demand you pay back every penny you owe me. Now, now if you want to play that game, the Old Testament lays out some guidelines for that. You can pay it back with all kinds of interest. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. What do Ruth and I know? We know that once you make an effort and you make a decision and effort to move in the direction of just being givers, just being givers, all right, God immediately begins to move. And I'm going to tell you why. Because God will be debtor to no man. You'll never outgive God. You'll never outgive God. My wife and I had a list of things at the house that needed to be fixed. And we were praying about, do we, do we sell the house and downsize now? We'd like to move into Anchorage, be closer to our endeavor of worship from Eagle River. But, but to be honest with you, there's some things that need to be fixed, and it's going to cost a lot of money, you know. And um, I'm thinking to myself, you know, Lord, uh, you know, I, I need you to show me what you want to do about this, all right? It just suffice it to say that, through things that happen to you, to me, to, you know, to people around the world, I mean, that trust God, the need yesterday was met. It's just met. The need was met. And, and, and really, in reality, we never had to fret. We never had to worry. Were we pleasantly surprised about what God did? Yes. You say, well, look, don't get all wrapped around the axle about how God did it. No one came to me and said, hey, we want to give you this big fat check. No one did that. All right. It's just something that God knew was unfolding before the foundation of the world. Do you see what I'm saying? Live your life as a child of God like any minute now God, God's going to come through. Any second now. God's going to open your eyes. He's going to do something. He's going to unfold something. He's going to give you something. Just endeavor on your part to be faithful to God with your time, your money, your life. Amen. God is detail-oriented. Amen. God's detail-oriented. Well, I get so excited. I'm All right, here we go. We're back. So he wants to destroy our peace, our joy, and our contentment. No way. Can't do it. Not, not. No, Ruthie and I can't let that happen. We, we know too much. We've seen too much. Now, do we get upset? Yeah. You know, Ruthie and me are a married couple. We can fight like the best of them. <laughs> and uh, she's learned to defend herself. <laughs> she's learned to stand up and defend herself. All right, I've learned that, okay? All right, Satan has mankind. Satan hates mankind for two reasons. One, mankind has been created in the image of God. You remember me telling you that? Like the girl who was jilted by this guy in high school. Uh, they dated through high school, and um, it came time to go to college. 
And instead of going to college where she went, he went to a college across the country, right? Right there in front of me. She's so mad at him, so angry. Well, he's not there, but she's mad. She wants to do something. She whips out a photograph of the guy, something that was created in the image of that guy, and she shredded it in front of us. Why? Because he wasn't there. She couldn't do anything to him or about him, right? Satan could not defeat God, so he goes after that which was created in God's image. He goes after you, right? Right? But you don't have to take it, amen? You know, every once in a while, the devil grabs the wrong cat by the tail. You understand what I'm saying? Let's make him live to regret it. Amen? In Jesus' name. Now, Satan's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. But as we are told in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Kind has been created. I'm going to back up one line again. Satan hates mankind for two reasons. Mankind has been created in the image of God, and he has been given, and two, he's been given dominion over the earth. That makes him very upset when he knows he knows what the Bible says. He knows that the Bible says we've been created, created a little lower than the angels, which means in power and all that. We're, we're, we're lower than him. But once the name of Jesus comes into play in our lives, he can't beat us. He, he really, if we would really get that down deep on the inside, he doesn't stand a chance against us. And the more of us learn how important it is to wield the name of Jesus in prayer the more damage we're going to do to the powers of darkness. Amen? So one of, one of God's goals is to turn us from Satan's power to God's power. Isn't that what the scripture said? Number four, that they receive the forgiveness of sins. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. And when we receive God's forgiveness, we no longer are attached or bound to our sins. We've got to learn that. Until you learn that, you're going to continue to yield to those sins and live a defeated life. God wants you to live a victorious life. This truth is emphasized a number of ways in the Scriptures, and one of my favorites is Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Quit embracing them. Quit going after them. Amen? What I really want to emphasize is this word receive. It's implied here and more plainly taught elsewhere that our sins have been forgiven. And all that is left for us to receive what God has provided. And all that is left for us to receive what God has provided. Jesus died for our sins 2,000 years ago and he's not going to die again. Alright? I think you get the gist of that. What the Lord has done to provide for our forgiveness was done on the day of his crucifixion, but it was in the plan of God even before the foundation of the world. That's one of the things we know at Last Spring Bible Church because we're discipled in the Word, right? What does Ephesians chapter 1 tell us? God's plan was formed before the foundation of the world. He had a plan and he hid it in Christ and that's why the devil didn't know it was coming. Jesus himself said, if the devil had known the plan, he never would have allowed, I'm paraphrasing, he never would have put me on that cross. He never would have worked to get me there if he knew how much damage we were going to do to the kingdom of darkness. Yeah, that's right, sister. <laughs> yeah. All right. The Holy Spirit works in our present time to convict, to convince, to convert. But we do not have to beg him to come and do these things. Because these things are the will of God. That's what I've learned. I don't have to beg for salvation. I've got to receive it. Amen? Now this may sound strange to you, but it's not the particular sin of lying or murdering or committing adultery or any other bad thing that you can think of that will cause people to go to hell. It is the fact that they are sinners. And it is the failure to believe on Christ. Thereby receiving the forgiveness of sins. 
When the Holy Spirit moves into a person's life, that person will begin to become painfully aware of sinful things in his life. I say, begin to become aware because it's progressive. How many of you on the day you, you, you got saved, everything became perfect? Now, I will tell you that so many things changed in my life, it was undeniable to my family, to everybody who knew me. But was every spiritual struggle over with? No. It was just starting. And guess what? I'm still in the fight today. Amen? In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of the Lord Jesus. This means that there is a progressive work of God going on in your life right now. It's progress, it progresses as your understanding of the word of God increases, causing you to experience spiritual growth in your life. This is what we say in this church. If you're not going to be in the book, if you're not going to be a person of the book, how can you expect to continue to grow spiritually so that all the truth that God has birthed out in your spirit works its way out all the way to the outside? All the way to the outside. Fifth point, that they might receive an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. Again, there's that word receive. And this time it's referring to an inheritance. It's an inheritance of eternal life, which ultimately results in our going to heaven. But it has some wonderful here and now benefits as well. Can you say amen? Wow, I like that. Wow, that's good stuff. I like that. For one thing, you get security in this inheritance. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. You grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed until the day, of your, the day of redemption. Your spirit has been birthed by God's spirit. We've already talked about that. And your spirit is as redeemed as it will ever be. But your soul, that is your mind, your will, and emotions are in the process of experiencing the completeness of redemption as you experience spiritual growth. So what do you mean by that? Well, if you've been serving the Lord for any length of time at all, you know this. How many messages have you ever heard on the battlefield of the mind? See, see, your mind kind of stuck in the middle of the fight. Oh, say this with me. I am a spirit. I have a soul. And I live in a body. Well, why do I say I am a spirit? I am a spirit because the day that I was conceived in my mother's womb, I'm a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. So when I get saved, every, you know, in, in the spirit, all this truth is manifest, you know? And then over on the other side, there's this flesh. And then in the middle is my mind. And why is the mind important? Because that's where the decisions are made. Am I going to listen to the truth? Or am I going to let the flesh do what it wants to do? Right? And don't tell me you sin because you got to. You sin because you decided to let the flesh do what it wanted to do. Right? So there's going to be that battle in our lives uh, up until the day I die. Right? But watch this with me. Your body will not experience the completeness of redemption until the resurrection. But bless God, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit until it all takes place. There are some other things in the inheritance that are to be received as well. For the inheritance, it becomes our legal right to pray and gain audience with Almighty God. That's where the victories come. Do you realize that? In Think about this for a minute. If, if, I, if I have cancer... I diagnosed with cancer in my body. If I am a person of prayer and I enter into the throne room of grace and step there before God and I'm extremely conscious, I am extremely conscious of what happens when I pray. I'm going to another place. You understand what I'm saying? When I pray in the name of Jesus, so well, guess what? Sin cannot stand in the presence of God. And the name of Jesus, who's seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you want to get deeper than that, the Bible says, I'm in him and he's in me. So where am I today? I, I'm like God, you know, I'm created in the image of God so I can be in more one, one place at one time. 
Alright? You're seeing the shell. You're hearing the voice of the shell. Right? I've chosen to speak forth today from this pulpit those things that God has spoken in my spirit. I haven't decided to go fishing. Not that there's anything wrong with going fishing. Or camping isn't. There's nothing wrong with going camping, right? Matter of fact, once in a while, it's good for a person to get away. I'll, I'll say that out loud to you, right? Right? But I'm telling you, I chose to be here today. There was no place on earth I, I wanted to be or would rather be than be here with you and, and, the, and the things that God's doing in this room. All right? I, I think that's important. Your body will not experience the completeness of redemption until the resurrection. But bless God, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit until all takes place. There are some other things in the inheritance that are be received as well. In the inheritance, it becomes our legal right to pray and gain audience with Almighty God. And that's where victory lives. Amen. To receive that benefit, we must adhere to certain guidelines of which I will remind you. Now, this is going to sound a little contradictory. But... But because, Paul said this, because there's grace should I sin so that grace will abound. Mm -mm. King James Version says, heaven forbid. <laughs> My grandmother used to say, heaven forbid. I said, Grandma, why do you say heaven forbid? She said, because it's in the Bible. It was in King James Version, heaven forbid. Right? Now watch this. To receive that benefit, we must adhere to certain guidelines of which I will remind you. One, stop holding on. To any known sin. You know for you to hold on. To a known sin. Means you got, you're making the decision. To, to grasp it. To hang on to it. Embrace it. Now if you think that makes you cringe inside. What do you think it does to me? Do you think, do you think that this doesn't pertain to me? I'm so high and mighty. I'm the pastor of this church. I don't fight these battles. I've never implied that to you. I, I mean, I hope and pray that I haven't. God help me. I fight the same struggles you fight here, all right? Stop holding on to any known sin. Two, forgive anybody that we have anything against. Forgive them. Forgive them. It's not worth it. Well, Brother Dennis, you don't know what they did to me. No, I don't, and I don't want to know. Uh, if you tell me why, then you're trying to convince me that I, that I should say to you, oh, well, I didn't know what happened to you. I, I, you have every right to be bitter. Go, it, go, go big or go home, you know. <laughs> go deep, get bitter, bitter, bitter. No, I'm not ever going to tell you that. Because Jesus said, the most important commandment is to love God above all else, right? And the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself, Right? So that's why I said, stop holding on to any known sin. And number two, forgive anybody that we have anything against because it's not worth it. I, I, I love Ruth so much, but I, I, I tell you, we, we still, you're, you know, 44 years of marriage, we still struggle from time to time. But, and, and I'll tell you what, I, the, I start to say, it, it isn't that she can't make me angry. She can do it, all right? But I can make her angry too. I can hurt her, she can hurt me, right? But here's what God, by the power of his spirit, has been saying to me lately. And my wife can tell you this. We get mad at each other, and all of a sudden I'll look at her and I'll say, can I say something to you right, right now? She said, yes. And I looked at her, and what did I say, Ruth? Do you remember? Yeah. What I said was, I adore you. I, I told her, I adore you. Why? Because I know that's what God wanted me to do. All right? Well, when you start saying, I adore the person setting the seat of the vehicle with you, that, that kind of takes the bite out of the fight. You know what I'm saying? And you know why I did that? Because Jesus told me, you can't, you got to stop getting angry and staying angry. You got to stop it. You got to stop that. And if you can't forgive your wife or stop being angry with your wife, how are you going to be pleasing to me? When Jesus said, love your wife like, you know, the Bible says, Paul said, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, which means he died for his bride, right? Well, guess what? I've looked back on my life and my marriage and, you know, I haven't done enough dying over the years. You understand what I'm saying? But I do love and adore Ruth, and I'm going to do more dying. And less of that garbage. Amen?
in the name of Jesus. Um, watch this. It says, forgive anybody that we have anything against. And the next line is, you need to be in right relationship with your spouse if you're married. If you're married, you need to be, if you can't be in right, right relationship with your spouse, you're in trouble. I mean, you share the dining room table, you share the roof over your head, you share the bed in your home. And, and God just told me you need to be in right relationship with your spouse or there's a lot spiritually wrong. Amen? And then lastly, we must always pray in faith. If you're going to open your mouth and talk to God in the name of Jesus, don't, don't squander words. All right? Preach, you know, pray the truth. Amen? It's our inheritance to live in the blessings of Abraham according to Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. But realizing this, it's very exciting to trace back through the scriptures and see, this is my homework for you, see how Abraham was blessed in all, say that with me, all that he did and how that blessing was passed on through the years to finally and fully rest upon Christ. And the Bible teaches that we are in him and he is in us. This inheritance has already been provided. It's ours for receiving. Many people are lost today because they've never received the forgiveness of sins. Many people have not because they have not asked. Because they haven't received the privilege of effective prayer. That is the most effective prayer that an unsaved person can say. Or pray. Father forgive me for my sins. And come into my heart and my life and change me. Many people are living in a miserable and defeated existence. Because they have not received their rightful legal position of being Abraham's seed. This inheritance is for those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. To be sanctified is to be set apart. Through your faith in Jesus the Holy Spirit sets you apart from the bondage of sin. And he sets you apart to serve the true and the living God. In closing. One last question. So all of this brings us. To life's most important question. Have you. Sincerely. Placed your faith in Jesus. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. No one looking around. I'm aware. In my spirit that. There are oftentimes things that I preach and I teach and I know that it pierces the hearts and lives of people in the room. I long for the, the days when there wasn't any such thing as a, a service in church where there wasn't an altar call given and an opportunity for people to sincerely place their faith in Jesus. So every head's bowed, every eye's closed. I, I really don't know why we do it this way. We can't sneak anybody into heaven. There's no back door. Um, there's one way. It's in Jesus Christ. And we get baptized by our public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. But no one's looking around. I, I'm going to pray for all of us this morning. Um, sincerely. That God uh, will help any of us that haven't placed our faith in Jesus to do that. If by the uplifted hand, right up and right down, he said, Pastor, I certainly want to be specifically included in that prayer. While no one's looking around, uh, lift your hand right up and right down. Right but, and um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for all of us. But I feel that it's important that we give this opportunity. Uh, yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. No one's looking around this. Between me, you, and God. Amen? But God sees and God knows. All right. Stand with me this morning. Father, I want to thank you in Jesus' name for this message that you gave us today. Thank you for burning it on the pages of our heart. Father, I want to thank you that your plan of salvation for us was before the foundation of the world. It, it isn't like it's a flimsy plan. It's been around a long time. Birthed in your heart. Before you went through all the work, you know, laying the foundation of this realm, the physical realm, and, and everything that we read about in Genesis, you already had a plan. Because looking down through the portals of time, because you're God, you could easily do that. You knew man was going to mess up. But you made a provision. You made a way. 
Father, for us to continue in relationship with you and not only to be your creation like Adam and Eve were when they were first created, but literally you made a way, the Bible says, to become sons and daughters, which goes even beyond being adopted. It says joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You made a way for us to become sons and daughters. Father, we thank you for forgiving us of all of our sins and shortcomings, cleansing us afresh and anew, causing the assurance and confidence to rise up within us that our names are recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. That book's been around a long time, Father. I want to thank you for the Lamb's Book of Life. I want to thank you for our names recorded there. Father, there are certain sins in the lives of us, even as your children, that seem to have a terrible, awful grip. We come against those sins in the mighty name of Jesus. Strengthen us in the battlefield of the mind, Father, to grip hold of tight your word, your help, your Holy Ghost. Father, it says uh, in Hebrews that there are times when we, we haven't resisted sin unto blood. I believe with all of my heart. That's trying to teach us that we haven't resisted sin until it hurt or hurts. Help us, Father, to get through the other side of that, Lord. Help us to resist sin unto blood until it hurts, Father. But to hang on tight to the horns of the altar, to hang on tight to your word, to hold on tight to your precious and powerful Holy Spirit, to help us overcome the addictions in our lives to sin. In Jesus' mighty name. Father, I want to thank you once again for your word in our lives today in this very service, Father. Lord, we give you all the glory and honor and praise for what you've accomplished in our lives today. We are leaving today changed in the mighty name of Jesus. Go with us, we pray. For it's in his name we pray, amen and amen. Amen and amen. God bless you. Fellowship together before you leave. Thank you for putting up with me. God bless.